2022 ACB Virtual DC Leadership Meetings will be held Saturday, March 12th through Tuesday, March 15th. Registration is $20 for ACB members and $30 for non-members. ACB members were sent a discount code via email. If you're an ACB member and did not receive the discount code, please call the Minneapolis office at 612-332-3242. Registration closes March 9. Visit acb.org for more information or register at https slash slash tinyurl.com slash 2022-DC-Leadership-Meetings. Opinions expressed on ACB Media are those of the respective program contributors and do not necessarily reflect the views held by the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Good morning or good afternoon, wherever you are. This is Christy Crespin coming to you from Highland, California for our ACB History Book discussion on February 8th. And we are discussing the book, The Unseen Minority, A Social History of Blindness in the United States by Francis, F-R-A-N-C-E-S, middle initial A, last name Kessler, K-O-E-S-T-L-E-R, copyright 1976 in the Bard version and 2004 in the Bookshare version by the American Foundation for the Blind. This past week, we began uh, reading, well, we hopefully completed reading chapter 25 called The Loneliest People. And my phone is talking, and I'm sorry. Um, so, uh, as I usually do, I would like to have us discuss anything up to Chapter 25. So, up to the point where we start discussing the deafblind uh, population. So hopefully you guys will raise your hands or we'll be ending this meeting really early today. (laughs) Thank you. Anybody have anything you would like to say regarding um, so far? Um, I would like to just say that um, it's kind of rambling. Um, it, it moves, actually, it's interesting, but there's so many dates and people and times, and it jumps back from uh, talking about a certain thing in 1966, and then I'll take it back to 1904, 1932, and it kind of is a lot to remember. I think it's really uh, amazing and, and important information. Um, but uh, who would like to say something? Kristen, Lucy's got her hand up. Yeah. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay. I just thought it was wild about uh, the blind babies from premature babies with the oxygen, how long it took to discover what was the reason. And 
those experiments they did where some got part oxygen and some got, you know, the time and whether the incubator was airtight or not. It was just, it's just so sad that it took so long to, to do something, <laughs> you know, yeah. that's all. Mm -hmm. Most definitely. I, I have um, RLF and I remember being an eight year old touting that. Um, now they call it retinopathy of prematurity, but when the book was written, um, that's not what they had called it. And then um, after this uh, basic period, um, it started happening again. Uh, so we have uh, children, even under the age of 18 today, with retinopathy of prematurity. I didn't and, know that. Yeah. I didn't. Okay. And and the other thing is that um it affected um it affected us and we always say we're brain damaged because it affected us in other ways and um if anyone has a good resource on retinopathy of prematurity I would love to read that book because uh you know, a lot of us have problems with spatial perceptions. Um, a lot of us were born, um, you know, some people were born with average intelligence and it affected the brains of others uh, huh. who, who were institutionalized. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. Anyone? Thank you. Anyone else? Okay. Uh, no hands right now. Anyone want to talk about prior to chapter 25, what you've read up to? Hmm. Beth? Yeah, I got Beth. Yes. Hello, can you hear me? Yes. I, yes, I remember um, the kids with uh, ROP or, you know, the premature kids being told at the blind school that, why can't you be like so-and-so? Uh, they learn mobility good and all this stuff. And um, like there was a girl in my class and they were always telling her that. And we were from the same town and I think she kind of resented me a little bit. <laughs> But I didn't have what she had, and um, but even our parents used to compare us, and I never liked that, you know. I I just didn't, and yes. even um, even when I was mainstreamed, they were like, "Well, you have to live in a sighted world. Um, they can't accommodate you or whatever, you know." And I'm like, Ugh. "I think we've all heard that one." <laughs> um. Yeah, uh, I I know that um, I was compared to people. People were compared to me. It it really puts a big responsibility on the people who they're being compared to, and um, really kind of demeans. If if you already had a, a fragile sense of of self confidence, it it just you know that dove down into the into the hinterlands because it's no fun being compared to someone and 
Yeah, I think people were under the impression a lot that that people who are blind um, are all the same. That you know we we have the same problems, the same capabilities, the same opportunities, and the same um, abilities capabilities and it's not true we're all so different you know as vastly different as humanity um so yeah i would agree good good observation i know my mobility orientation and mobility while i'm better than some i'm certainly not one of the i wouldn't even call my my abilities in that area average And I think because people used to compare you or, you know, oh, you were fortunate. You got to go to public school and stuff. And I'm like, yeah. And uh, when I went to the school for the blind, I'm like, I'm going to learn all these blindness skills because when I'm 18, I am out of here. I'm out of my home, you know. Mm -hmm. And I don't think they realized what they were doing by comparing people. But I know that they're still carrying on. People still carry on resentments. Oh, well, you were always so better in school, so much better in school than I was. And I'm like, no, I wasn't. I was awful at math. Oh, yeah, but they used to brag on you. Well, I'm sorry. There's nothing I can do about that. (laughs) Yeah, and... You know, some of us were, I mean, in in growing up and reading letters from my blind friends and and seeing, you know, um, I was a a very good speller and my my formatting for Braille was was actually pretty good. But, you know, again, it's the math skills, the orientation and mobility skills. Um, Yeah, those sucked. so we're all different. Thank you, Beth. Does anybody else have a comment to make about um, from the book up to where we're reading in chapter 25? No hands right now. Okay, well, um, I guess um, we are starting really early, and I, most of you haven't read Chapter 25. So we'll go with uh, what we know from Chapter 25, and then um, I will bring the discussion uh, into what other books people might want to read. Um, but um, I, I plan on finishing this book next week. We have two chapters in the Bard version, uh, 1976 edition. And then we have a timeline from the Bookshare edition that maybe uh, would be interesting to uh, discuss and, and highlight uh, some of the, the things that have happened, again, only up to 2004. When I think about this book, um, 
even though the book was copyright 1976, the basic information seemed to go no later than 1972. And the, um, I was 19 years old, basically in 1972. And that was such a long time ago. Um, so many things have changed uh, in, in so many ways that people had no idea. Um, the, the opportunities have changed. Um, the vocations have changed. The communication tools have changed. Uh, and even uh, from the timeline in 2004, that was 18 years ago. That's like a generation ago. Um, so who would like to make a comment now through chapter 25? I hope at least someone has read chapter 25. <laughs> We have no hands right now. I know. I see that. Okay. Um, guys, uh, do you have anything to say about this book? One thing that I noticed about um, Chapter 25 is they talked a lot about um, the, the deaf community being taught very differently from the blind community. Um, they talked about how hard it was to find people uh, who were deaf and blind. They, um, the, the people who were uh, deaf and blind uh, were described as basically not being able to be reached. Um, it was described as being dark and silent. And uh, one of the people who uh, went, um, I think it was deaf later on, described uh, things in, in his account as um, people describe uh, us as having darkness and silence, but that's not true at all. He said, we have, he said, at least in my case, I have a blurred fog. And in my hearing, I hear uh, clicks and, and creaks and screeches. And I hear the sound of my bodily functions and it is rather noisy like the wind blowing outside a home in a storm um, which I thought was quite interesting does anyone here have a hearing loss as well as a vision loss Berta's got her hand up okay go ahead 
Hi, it's Roberta. Um, Hi, Roberta. I was going to comment on something else, but I, yes, I, you I can have, comment on both. <laughs> yeah, I will. It's, uh, we're running a little desperate today. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, um, I appreciated this chapter, it, the historical aspect of it, because for me, it brought back a lot of memories of the in in the blindness business, so to speak. But um, a couple of things when I was when I was in grade school in the early '60s, there was a girl who sat next to me, and this was my very first exposure to someone who had of of who was blind. She, um, it was third grade, and it was 1964-65. In those days, we sat at desks, and the desks were two desks together with an aisle, two desks together with an aisle, so that the mm -hmm. teacher could walk down the aisles and get access to every child. Mm -hmm. The woman, the girl who sat next to me, her name was Marilyn. And I'm, I know now, which I didn't know then, that she had RLF. Um, she, she, her eyes were um, very unusual, mm -hmm. you know, for, you know, eight or nine-year-old children. And I remember now and thinking back that when we were out playing in the yard, Marilyn always stood by the wall of the school and we never invited her to participate for which I'm always regretful, but mm -hmm. as a nine-year-old didn't you know, don't anybody. know, right? No. Um, but in the, in the chapter 25, which I, I did read, I have to admit, I've, I read about the first three quarters and I think I drifted off after that, but, mm -hmm. um, <laughs> but they talked about um, establishing some schools um, and they mentioned Michigan State University, which is, I live about a mile from the edge of campus, oh, and cool. a program that was established there. They didn't mention the name Lou Alonzo, but Lou Alonzo was one of the women who was very involved in that program. That Unfortunately, that program has, has been cut, so there's no deafblind in, in training program at Michigan State anymore, but... Um, so that's kind of sad, but and then um, I, I I I really appreciate. It. I like what you said. I I do. I really appreciate what the gentleman's comments in the book about silence. Silence is not. I mean, um, blindness is not darkness, and and deafness is not silence because we do. I got to find a room that doesn't have a phone in it. We do. <laughs> we sorry. We do. Um, we do hear things. I mean, our, our auditory system, we do hear things that are whatever is available, whatever stimulates our auditory system. We, we do hear things. And I, I can remember years ago telling people to experiment by leaning their elbows on the table and putting their hands over their ears. So they plug their ears with their hands, but leaning on the table. And mm -hmm. relatively, as as hearing people would say, it was silent. But if you picked your elbows up off the table and did the same thing, there was a rumbling. And I always told people, I said, that is the sound of your muscles working. Right. And 
So all those sounds are there. It's kind of like, you know, all of the, um, but you know, all those things are there that we don't, we don't, they're there, but we don't pay attention to them under circumstances. So yeah, I thought that was an interesting, interesting um, description by the, that, that gentleman that wrote that, you know? Yeah. He said our, our hearing is turned inward. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. A very good description. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Sure. Hey, Christy, I'm here. Hey, Libby. So did you get to read chapter 25? Yes, I did. In oh, fact, good. Um, the one thing I really noticed that was interesting was the fact that how so, so difficult it was for the deafblind children and adults. Uh, and them trying to form a way to, to, you know, besides sign language at first, you know, to, to learn how to communicate and everything. And it was it just it was just so sad how long it took them to finally get, you know, something going so that those folks would be included into society, you know. And um, I can't remember who the person was that really started to spearhead it but i can say kudos for them because uh you know without it uh the deafblind community would be isolated more so than they already are right yeah thank you i see music she's got her hand up okay you see okay i i just want to say that um I am now kind of losing my hearing because of age, uh-huh. and I find it so inconvenient. It's so hard to follow conversations. It's almost a bigger handicap than visual impairments. <laughs> I I really think so. I mean, I've heard it before that deaf is a better, worse handicap. But um, that's interesting that you hear those sounds. It's almost like people that have ringing in the ears right it's a, right mm-hmm. yeah people people experience that and um what i find is i'm losing i'm not sure if i would call it losing my hearing but um i'm losing the ability to process what i'm hearing um i'll hear something and it'll take it a minute for me to really understand exactly what was said, which is frustrating because um, you still have to say what? <laughs> what did you say? <laughs> uh. Yeah, and and uh, I um, I I did this this thing, and I don't remember what it was, where um, I was listening to something, and they played sounds that younger people could hear but older people could not hear the sounds and Mm -hmm. I could not hear those sounds. And I used to be really, um, people used to comment on my keen hearing. Now Mm -hmm. my husband says, you hear, when I mumble, you hear what I say, but you don't hear what I say when I'm talking to you. (laughs) 
when I don't want you to hear what I said, you hear it. (laughs) Right. That's funny. But that's what I meant about conversation. It will Mm -hmm. sound muffled to me, sometimes even with my hearing aid. And um, it's almost a. Uh, I don't know if it's like you said, part of it is in the mind. You almost have to concentrate so hard that mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's kind of tiring. But about the deaf blind in chapter 25, I thought it was encouraging whenever the, they took a chance on a deaf blind to be employed in the broom making workshop. Yeah. They didn't think he could do it. And the guy said, I think he can. And they ended up having nine deaf blind. Um, men there and so you know that was really encouraging that humanity <laughs> progresses along yeah kind of creeping and crawling <laughs> yeah and um the other thing that i i found interesting was that um i guess helen keller was like the first person to graduate from college um, and then they named names of uh, Robert Smithdis, who um, became director of the um, the National Center on Deaf Blindness or whatever that the actual name of it was. And uh, Richard Dickey or no, Richard Kinney, Dick Kinney, who became director of uh, Hadley School for the Blind, which I found that to be interesting. And then Jackie Coker, who lived in California and was a rehabilitation teacher for the blind. So I'm wondering if anyone from California recognizes that name of Jackie Coker. I don't recognize it, but I thought it was interesting. And then um, in the book, it does not mention um, Frances. Oh God, I can't think of her name before. Frances Thiessen, who became Frances Menino. Um, she was blind, and I believe she was also hard of hearing. But she worked with uh, the deaf blind, and um, I had a deafblind friend that I grew up with named David Pepito and he was uh, became deaf and blind due to meningitis at the age of eight was a genius over 160 IQ was a a prolific braille reader um, extremely extremely intelligent small young man um, but I used to ride to school on the bus with him from Walnut to Azusa, which is about an hour and a half ride, basically. And I would sit in the seat next to him, and um, he would talk to me because he could speak. Um, you could tell that um, he could not say his S's and some of the words he had a hard time with. But uh, I would, uh, as they described in um in the chapter 25, I would place my hands on my knees and in the Braille, um, Braille, the Perkins Braille key um, um, posture. And I would write as I was writing on a Perkins Brailler. And um, 
he would put his fingers on my on the back of my fingers and be able to tell what I was saying. And I could go at a pretty good clip with that. Um, and then he also was able to read in the palm. So um, it was it was uh, kind of fun. Um, David and I used to write on the Braille Writer and we made up our own language and stuff. So it was pretty fun. Um, and um, he was a part of my life until we were 21 and he died. Um, but that was totally awesome. I have no doubt that David would have gone to college and done something great with his life. Roberta's got her hand up again. Uh -huh. I, um, I just wanted to add, you know, you were talking about um, the, how much, you know, how much work it is to, listen and understand people when your hearing is compromised. And I remember, I don't know where I read this, but I remember um, a quote from Helen Keller. And she said, blindness separates you from information and deafness separates you from people. Yeah. And that, that always stuck with me because I always thought that was so it's such a simple statement, but it's so profound about, you know, it, it, the combination. Now you're separated. Not only are you separated from information, but you're also separated from other people. So yes, yes. that's always, that's always, what a cool story about your, your school friend. That yeah. is, that is very cool, man. Gosh. I, I was I was very blessed to have him in my life in seventh and eighth grade, and then we kept a correspondence up through high school. and uh, And he worked with Frances Thiessen uh, mm. before before she became Frances Menino. And mm. actually, um, she would how what happened? I'm trying to remember if something happened because I know that she would help him write letters to me. Um, you know, because he had um, hydroencephalitis. Yeah. Um, so then he started having problems with um, being able to uh, his sense of touch. Uh, so, you know, my goodness, the, you know, we think that, you know, being blind, you know, or having some vision and some hearing or no vision and some hearing or some hearing. And I mean, you know, all of those combinations, but losing faculty um, based on other encumbering, disabling conditions medically, gosh, I can't even imagine how lonely that would be. Mm hmm Yes. Well, anyone have any lasting, last bits of comments from this chapter? 
um, before I move us on to maybe talking about some books that we might want to read. Livy, do you have any parting comments? <laughs> Beth, did you get to read the chapter? Well, I just, um, I was just awestruck by, you know, those that just persisted and persisted to try to get some form of education and, and all for, for the deafblind uh, folks and children, especially. Um, I remember growing up, well, when I, yeah, we had a gal named uh, Dana. And Dana was not only totally blind, but she was uh, slightly, um, she was retarded. And I think she had some hearing loss, but I'm not, I'm not positive. And um, she was, she came to our school for high school. How she got there, I don't know, but um, she was there till her, I think she was a sophomore or junior, and they transferred her to the school for the blind in Fremont or wherever it was at, Berkeley, I think, in those mm -hmm. days. Berkeley, yeah. yeah. And um, anyway, but it was just, and I had a friend that was a psychology person. That's what she wanted to get into, and she would, she was trying to work with because Dana had a very high pitched voice. It sounded like this. And she <laughs> was trying to help Dana to see why she talked so high pitched like that. Mm -hmm. um, I know she was adopted because she was born around the same time that I was. And the mother abandoned her. And these an older couple took her in and raised her. Mm -hmm. And. Um, you know, but um, she, the last I had heard that she was in a group home, mm -hmm. if she's still alive. I don't even know mm -hmm. if she's still alive or not. Mm -hmm. But anyway, um, it was very, very difficult at times, uh, you know, to, to deal with her. I got sort of relegated to take her to lunch and, you know, by our, our, resource teacher you know you need to mm -hmm. take Dana so she, you know and so I had to do that and it at you know I really didn't want to but I sort of had no other choice you know and uh, Lizzie anyway. did that enrich your life being with her um in any way can you think I of think a positive in some ways I just I really felt felt sorry for her and um and she was a beautiful girl, just a beautiful. She had long brown hair and just a beautiful, beautiful girl. And I just, you know, the one thing that saddened me was the fact that her mother abandoned her. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this, these older folks took her in. I'm going to say they were in their like 40s or so when they took her in and mm -hmm. um, and all. But um, it was an experience, that's for sure. <laughs> So, and I don't have, I just go up to chapter 26 in my book. I don't go up to 27. There is a 27. It's yeah. A, it, like I said, it's a short chapter. It's like, yeah, but I didn't, here I don't have it. Moving forward. So, anyway. Um, so, thank you. Uh -huh, thank you. Um, Excuse me, Kristen. Um, we are a little bit past the halfway point, and Beth mm -hmm. has her hand up. Okay, Beth. Yeah, I did. I did read the chapter and, and um, 
Um, I guess, okay, there was several things. There was a, a little boy when I was growing up that he was just deaf. And um, I don't know, the public or the Catholic schools didn't really bother teaching him that much. Of, I mean, he learned whatever he could learn through sight, but they didn't. They didn't really, um, that school didn't have a resource room or whatever, and they didn't really bother to teach. You've heard of something called social promotion? Right. Yeah. So he got socially promoted. Yeah. Now, well, they I wanted to how, do that I, with my son, and I said I, no. I wonder how many people who are blind got socially promoted. I, I suspect quite a few. Yeah, I feel I did in some subjects. <laughs> yeah, that's, you know, Catholic schools really weren't equipped um, to work with people who, and, and to this day, I don't know how well equipped they are uh, to work with people who are differently, who learn differently. Um, but even at the School for the Blind, there was two deafblind kids, and they... I don't know. The one, okay, one boy could see a little bit and um, he couldn't read large print like my sister. He was in her class. Mm -hmm. And they seemed more willing to teach him than they did the, the guy who was totally blind and, and deaf. And I'm like, wow, you know, I, I felt bad for them because I thought, well, you know, isn't this supposed to be a school for for the blind as as well as the deaf? You know, where the de where are the deaf gonna go? They can't go to the school for the deaf because they can't see either. You know, right? Yeah, it's a catch twenty two. And I and I do know that um, maybe twenty years back, twenty years to the future, my daughter, my daughter's friend resented going to public school just like I did. And she's mm -hmm. deaf. Mm -hmm. He's like, why couldn't my parents send me to Santa Fe? I said, I don't know. I, I wish my parents would have sent me to the school for the blind too. And my daughter's like, she can't understand that even still to this day. You know, why didn't you guys like public school? We just didn't. And she ran, she left home too when she was 18. Um, this girl, Sylvia, she's like, no, I'm not going to stay here. They they like my brothers and sisters better than they do me, and I'm not going to stay here. And that's that's kind of the way I felt, too. That's why I wanted to get all my skills and everything. Because you once my that. grandma died, I'm like, uh-uh, I am not staying here. How many of y'all went to college somewhere not near home so you could move like I did? I picked purposely I, I picked purposely a college where I would have to stay because I didn't want to I knew that if I didn't do that that it would be very difficult for me to leave home and I would not gain my independence and I saw so many times with my friends that um, they never left home that was me until I got married I was well, actually, no. Um, when I went to CBU to Cal Baptist, 
for three years. I was there and I wanted to, and the next year when I came back, went to RCC and was taking trans medical transcribing course. I had a friend and she and I were going to plan a room together and stuff, but my parents talked me out of it. And I think it was because that my mother got a stipend for taking, you know, for having me there. Mm -hmm. And I was there until I got married. <laughs> and, you know, and in that regard, I, you know, I totally regret. It. I remember reading an article way, way, way back in the monitor about being in prison in your own home. Mm -hmm. And I, I just sat there as I read that. I was just going, yep, 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 yep. <laughs> you know, I could totally relate. And, yeah. uh, you know, there are some emotional scars from that that I still carry. You know, I loved my parents and everything, but um, my mom tried to teach me the sighted way. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, that was total mistake. Mm -hmm. Total mistake. Thank you. Is there anyone else? Uh, Nellie has her hand up. Nellie? Hi. Hi. I um, initially, I was living in New York with my parents, and I went to Long Island University and commuted because it was uh, in Brooklyn and I lived in the Bronx. But um, after two and a half years of going to LIU, figured that things were really not going to change much in terms of my personal independence from my parents unless I did something else. And I mean, I, I was able to, I had learned how to travel and I could use the subway and I had gotten a, gotten a guide dog, which was really helpful when I was 18. But um, I knew that I needed to put a lot of distance uh, between my parents and myself. And it was really a big sacrifice because, you know, I loved my family and I had a lot of cousins and I had a lot of friends, but I ended up um, coming to UC Riverside here in California. And, um, you know, I was, on, I was 22 and um, I didn't plan to stay permanently, but I ended up staying permanently. <laughs> um, but um, that that was a very big decision for me to yeah. to be able to do that. Yes, that was courageous. Yeah, I didn't know a soul in California. Wow! <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it's very courageous. So I hope that if you get a chance, people, you will all read um, this book. And, you know, um, hopefully people, if you, if you haven't read, um, at least just read chapter 26 and 27, if you can find it. Uh, read those chapters next week so we can talk about the rest of the book. Um, and then you can catch up later. Uh, that's the good thing about this book is it really does, um, you can kind of separate um, and read different chapters at different times it, um, and it still makes sense because things are still, you know, are broken up. 
Um, another couple of things before we move on. I had um, um, noticed that Anne Sullivan Macy, whoo, did she have a temper? Oh my goodness. She was at odds with people. And, uh, you know, she and Helen, you know, had been at odds with each other for a while. Um, there was an organization that had started up um, with three different prongs to it. And um, that was uh, affected basically uh, Robert Irwin and Miguel. Miguel um, had said, hey, we're getting out of here because this is a cat fight. We're not going to deal with this. <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know, finally some things gotten straightened out, but uh, she had a temper. And um, the other thing is that um, because of uh, public law 90, and I can't remember the rest of it, but it was like in 1966, um, the um, American Foundation for the Blind was able to get out of uh, the the business of um, the of these little institutes that had gotten started to uh, to teach uh, the deafblind uh, people and their parents and and have a social worker attached to it. Um, those were were given up. Uh, by the American Foundation for the Blind. And, and, you know, American Foundation for the Blind ended up to be, instead of a service provider, ended up to really be a social uh, research organization, uh, which is so much of what it does today. Uh, when I asked a while ago, I had asked people at AFB, what do you guys do? And I didn't understand it, but this book really helps me understand how they went from uh, being a service provider um, and a service coordinator to being a social research uh, uh, facility. Do we have any other hands? I don't think so. Let me see. Okay, so let's open it up. It's about quarter till, no. 14 till. Let's open it up to uh, new books. What do y'all want to read that you're really going to read this time? Or do you want to continue this uh, group? This is Nellie. Um, Go ahead, Nellie. I haven't, um, you know, done, done my research yet about, you know, specific uh, books that we might consider reading, but I think it really is um, um, informative and productive to have this book, to look at the history and look at the laws and the um, uh, the actions that people have taken in the past and where um, the needs are today. And uh -huh. uh, so I just uh, need to... Um, go online and do some research and see what other books. I'm sure there are some. Beth has um, her hand up. Okay, go ahead, Beth. Thank you. Oh, dear. Oh, yeah, I was just going to say that, too, that I, I'm, 
I think this group is productive and I'd like to continue it. Um, I haven't done my research either as to what books mm, we should read. <clears throat> but um, I think there is still a, um, a need today, even with so much technology, because um, not everybody is willing to, okay, like, for example, I can get a computer and, uh -huh. and they're willing to give me one for free. I've used a Windows computer, but um, I've never used a Mac before. The one they're willing to give me is a Mac, but my DVR won't help me with it because um, unless I'm trying to find a job, which I am, but I haven't, I haven't um, asked them for a job in computer uh, thing, but unless they give me the computer, they're not willing to help me with it. And I, I think that's crazy because why should they care where the computer came from? Yeah. Um, you know about Computers for the Blind. You can purchase a computer from Computers for the Blind uh, for like $150. Right. Well, this is a, this is a Mac, and it's... Uh, so it's obviously got voiceover and stuff like that. Yeah. Well, you know, and they're and they're willing to give it to me, you know, but but my DVR thing won't help me with it. Um, well, if they're willing to give it um, to you, then why can't you just get it? I don't understand, but that's a different discussion. So I found the some of the books that um, had been suggested. Um, we have a suggestion of. Um, the Structured Negotiation book by uh, Lainey Feingold, Rising Strong by uh, Brene Brown. Um, 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 somebody had talked about using Overdrive to find books. Um, um, bibliographies of blind people. Um, it was almost like a song uh, about Ronnie Millsap. Sun and Shadows, uh, Rose Resnick. Um, she was the youngest of eight children of Russian immigrants. And she was going to school for the blind in uh, New York. And when her father saw bars on the windows, uh, they turned back. So she never went there. Um, Authentic Habits was a book that somebody talked about by James, James Clear. Um, and so, um, what do you guys think of any of those suggestions? I like the first two that you suggested and then the, the one about Rose Resnick and the other one about, what was, the, what was the last one you said? That was the one talking about Ro Rose Resnick. 
Okay, what's the name of that book? Um, let's see. Um, I think it was something about shadows. Sun and shadows. Oh, sun and shadows. Okay. Uh-huh. Sometimes there's talk about hearing loss. Sometimes this phone is kind of weird and you you can't hear what <laughs> that's why I like Zoom. Like... That's why I like Zoom so much better than using the phone. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But um any um go in ahead. Addition, in addition to the book of uh by Rose Resnick, um I think that um uh, Rising Strong by Brene Brown. Um, you know, it's it's about you know your personal power and your personal strength and finding it. Mm -hmm. um, I, that would be good. Yeah. Okay. Do we want to keep this toward blindness, or do we want to branch out? And and I changed the name of the group. <laughs> I'd like to keep it towards blindness. Yeah. So I'm I'm thinking maybe to read Structured Negotiations. Um, I think it's the second edition. I think that's what she has by Lainey Feingold. I believe it is available on BARD um, as well as Bookshare. Um, if I suggest that book, would people be willing to download it and actually start reading it? Nellie, I have it, but I haven't started reading it, but uh, I will. Is it on uh, NLS? Yes. Okay. Okay. And, you know, eventually, <laughs> um, if you'd like to read my book, uh, you know, it's up to you. I, I still haven't got it you know, on NLS or anything as of yet. The only way you could read it is if um, I sent you the uh, the manuscript of it. And I was supposed to, I still haven't been able to send it to you, Christy, so you could braille it. Um, yep. I'm having Is it on Bookshare? No, it's not on, it's on Goodreads, but it's not on Bookshare. I haven't even been able to get it on NLS. And I've, I, don't know how to, you know, to do that. And I've been trying. So, so um, several people who are blind have gotten their books on NLS Bard. Um, I've read several. Um, real life people that you could talk to. Is it Deborah? Deborah? Is it Deb? Um, oh God! Is it Deborah Kiefer Kendrick? Oh, I recognize that name. Yeah, Deborah Kendrick, 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 uh, Diana, uh, Diana Noriega, um, Annie Chiapetta. Yeah, I can. Oh, and now Susan Glass. Did she get hers on Bard? I don't know about that, but it it just came out. Yeah, well, I know she just published a book. I don't think it's on Bard. Yeah, I, no, I don't think so. But Livy, you might want to connect with um, ask write to acbcommunity.org. Okay. Um, AC, I mean, sorry, community at acb.org. Mm -hmm. And um, ask to connect with uh, with uh, 
you know, Deborah, Deborah Kendrick with Deanna Noriega and with Annie Chiapetta. And perhaps, you know, one of them will be able to, or all three of them will be able to help you get your book on BARD. Okay. Um, on Bookshare, there's a form that you can fill out and you can send them the publisher's copy. They, they need it uh, uh, in... The, not the manuscript if they need the, the they e need the print the print edition no no they need the the um electronic ISBN number well well they need all that but they need the electronic version do okay. you have an electronic version okay um, that's what you need to get from i your, think that's what i've got but anyway electronic um, version Send yeah um, but anyway, so um, uh, we can talk a, l a little bit more about this next week. Um, if people have a book suggestion that they would like to follow through with, write to me, Christy Crespin, or, you know, in care of uh, community at acb.org. And, uh, and I can have some results. Um, about what to read um, and uh, and and like I said my preference so far would be the structured negotiation book by Lainey Feingold because it would give us a reason um, just like that's why I started this group because people you know I wanted people to read people of vision a history of the American Council of the Blind by James Megavern and Marjorie L. Megavern. Is it James J? James A. Megavern? I can't remember, but anyway, I said it for 10 million times. Um, but again, we're reading chapter 26 and 27 for next week of uh, The Unseen Minority, a history of the Amer uh, a history of a social history of blindness in, uh, in the United States by Francis A. Kessler, K-O-E-S-T-L-E-R. And um, Brad, I'd like to really thank you for uh, hosting today. Mm -hmm. I, I'd like to thank uh, Larry for streaming mine and whatever else he's doing, a million other tasks. And uh, again, this is the February 8th. Uh, chapter 25, we'll read chapter 26 and 27 next week. And we are going to end. So thank you very much.